Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss how the apprenticeship system worked in ancient China and how it is still affecting parents' attitude towards vocational education today. There are 200 million skilled workers in China at the end of 2020. Only 26% of the country's total workforce, according to the Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security. Given this, vocational education has drawn unprecedented attention among policymakers in China, the world's largest manufacturer. At the first national conference on vocational education held in April, Chinese President Xi Jinping stressed that a modern vocational education system must be set up to produce more skilled professionals. This was the first time that the importance of the vocational education had highlighted from the top. A traditional way of training skilled workers has been used in recent years. Several issued documents, the most recent one in June, promoted China's new type of apprenticeship training program in vocational education. The key is cooperation between enterprises and the vocational schools. More than 800,000 workers joined the new training program in 2019 and 2020. China's apprenticeship system has more than 2,500 years of history. The government would recruit craftsmen and those who were more skilled were promoted to teachers for other craftsmen. During the spring and autumn period and the warring states period between the 8th and 3rd centuries BCE, teachers were responsible for both tutoring and managing their co-workers. In the 7th century BCE, the Qi Kingdom, the area that is roughly today's Shandong province, became the first dominant power recognized by other kingdoms. Qi's rise was largely credited to its prime minister, Guan Zhong, a great politician in Chinese history. In one of his policy proposals to his king, Guan said a pool of craftsmen should be available and be accessed often. He believed that this would give craftsmen incentives and pressure not only to develop and demonstrate their skills, but also compete with one another. This would improve their own craftsmanship and help influence and train their children. Then their skills would be passed down in their families. The apprenticeship system officially started during the Tang Dynasty in the early 7th century. Each trade had a set apprenticeship period. For example, a jeweler took four years, but tailors and milliners only nine months. During the Song Dynasty founded in the early 10th century, apprentices learned how to make a weaponry to set specs. This means that training was more standardized than the conventional teacher apprentices system. In 1103, during the Northern Song, China's first book of standards for building construction and handicraft, 
Manufacturing was released. The author was Li Ji, head of the Department for Construction and Handmade Utensils for Imperial Use. The purpose of the book was not to train apprentices, but rather served as a reference book for craftsmen. But in practice, it improved the training quality of apprentices. In addition, as there are few examples of Northern Song architecture still standing today, the book provides the majority of information we know about Song buildings and how they were made. The government-sponsored apprenticeship system declined starting in late 14th century during the Ming Dynasty, but the system continued and grew in the private sector. As historical records mostly focus on government, not many records about apprenticeship in the private sector have been found. In the past few years, the traditional ceremony at which a master formally accepts an apprentice drew criticism, which involves the apprentice kneeling down in front of the teacher. Some said this old ritual reflected the inequality between master and apprentice and thus should not continue. Traditionally, apprentices would face much harder tasks than kneeling in a ceremony. They would spend up to three years of serving as a personal assistant, not only to their teachers, but also more senior apprentices. Then, finally, they can begin to learn skills. This was also a difficult process. For example, barbers would first practice on furry rings of winter melons. This was also a mental test. Only those who were patient, diligent, and talented enough were able to move on. But even then, they spent most of their time observing their masters at work. Masters did not spend a lot of time teaching. An important reason was that masters did not want to teach all their secrets to what one day could become a potential competitor. Another reason may be the deep influence of Buddhism, in which people believed that success was determined by fate. Even after apprentices grew to be qualified tradespersons, their career choice was very limited due to a political restrictions and social discrimination. As the old Chinese idiom goes, there are 360 different trades, and each one produces a Zhuangyuan, or the highest score of the imperial examination, that was guaranteed a top political career. While the saying uses Zhuangyuan to describe the top expert in any field, it is interesting to note that among the 360 recognized trees in ancient China, political careers were not included. This is because political careers were regarded as superior. Another saying goes, studying to be a scholar is the only way toward the best future one can have. This is because serving in the imperial civil service system guaranteed high social status. Any other career was regarded as inferior. Trace people faced even more restrictions than people in other careers. Top trace people can only be the best in their own field. They, and even their children, would never have a chance at a political career in the imperial system. According to Tang Dynasty law, trace people and their descendants were bound to their professions from generation to generation.
the best future for a trace person was to serve the imperial court. A typical example is Lei family during China's last dynasty, the Qing. For more than 200 years, seven generations of Leis served as chief architect of imperial buildings. They designed and supervised the construction and restoration of the most important buildings of the Qing, including the Temple of Heaven, the Forbidden City, and nearly all the royal parks in Beijing. The family was known as Yang Shi Lei. Yang Shi literally means style or pattern in Chinese, and it was the name of the imperial architecture department during the Qing. In 1907, Lei Ting the last chief architect from the family died, and the Qing dynasty was overthrown in a revolution four years later. The Lei family declined. In the 1930s, they even had to sell some of their archives to survive. In 2007, the Yang Shi Lei archives were included in the UN's Memory of the World Register. A master took on few apprentices which meant much more individualized training than a modern vocational course. This is an advantage that modern vocational education should learn from. However, deep-seated discrimination against trace people remains. Although the government has stressed in recent years that higher institutions providing vocational education should be treated equally as academic ones, Parents, particularly those in urban areas, are against sending their children to vocational high schools or colleges. The problem is that blue-collar jobs are still regarded as beneath white-collar jobs because they offer less prospects for promotion or further education, much like in Asian times. That is end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.